0: Off to the right side, Jarrett, left, McFoy, backs in the eye with Bush, the tail. Second and five from the Irish 45, Bush, big hole left side 40, he's gone. The
1: Trojans have tied the ball game up.
2: Hey, Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham.
3: All right, welcome back to the 21st edition of the Peristyle Podcast, here. weekly internet radio show talking about the USC Trojans. Thanks for joining us. We have an exciting show for you today. The first segment, as always, we're joined by the coach, Harvey Hyde. How are you doing today, coach?
4: I'm doing great, buddy. I tell you, we've got the 4th of July behind us. Now we can start getting closer and closer and get ready for camp to open for the Trojans and uh, also the new commits uh, continually roll in for the 2009 class and... Virginia is not that far away on October 30th. And, then of course, Ohio State, that's going to be a great one. So how much better can it get,
3: huh? Can't get much better. Hopefully everyone had a great Fourth of July weekend. And like I said, we have a really good show for you today. Uh, In the first segment, we're going to talk to the coach, like we said. In the second segment, we're joined by A.J. Jacobson of the DucksSportsAuthority.com. who's going to preview the Oregon uh, Ducks for us for the USC-Oregon game coming up on October 4th. And then the final segment, we are going to talk with uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Wyke about uh, some of the incoming freshmen that are taking part in summer workouts. Looks like everyone everyone except for three guys are taking part, and Dan will give us an update from campus. But first, let's uh, take care of a little business coach. just wanted to thank our sponsor, and they always sponsor the Harvey Hyde segment of the show, Southern California Tickets. If uh, you need tickets for concerts or sporting events, theater, any kind of tickets you need, Sold out, doesn't matter. Go to sctickets.com and call them at 1-800-888-7287. Coach and I have both used them. We like them a lot.
4: We sure do. They're, they're in the huddle with us all the time. Isn't it amazing how we score every time we call them?
3: <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> that's one you don't lose on. That's a good thing. That's a good point, it Coach. Is.
4: And it's an automatic extra point. <laughs> yes.
3: yes. Okay, well, uh, if anyone has any questions or comments, as always, you can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. That's podcast at uscfootball.com. Send us your questions. We'll try to get them uh, and answer them for you during the next podcast. And uh, a couple different t- topics I wanted to talk about uh, with you today, coach. There was an interesting thread that came up this week on the message board. And uh, just I'll try and break this down. This won't be too many numbers for you. But um, one of the kind of the hallmarks of a Pete Carroll defense and, and the USC Trojans in general under Carroll is that they get better. At, in the second half, and they make those adjustments at halftime, and the offense gets better and the defense gets better. And if you look at the stats from last year, points by quarter, someone broke it down. Sanjo Trojan actually broke it down. Uh, first quarter, USC outscores opponents 100 to 42. Second quarter, outscores 128 to 52. Third quarter, again, 120 to 38, dominating in the third quarter. But the fourth quarter, 76 76, dead even. And uh, they they kind of brought this up. And, Coach, I know stats are <laughs> – they don't always mean a whole lot. But I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on that, you know, as a former coach and and see what you thought. If you saw anything different from the uh, 2007 version of the Trojans as some of the previous years under Pete Carroll.
0: Well, you
4: know, one thing, first of all, you have to say, if you outscore them the first three quarters and you tie in the fourth quarter, you're going to win most of your games, right?
3: Good point, yes. <laughs>
4: So uh, then they did, 11-2 uh, and two last year, a great season, and they did do that. And you have to look at it get a couple of different ways. You know, sometimes when you're up on teams, you let up a little, up a little bit in the fourth quarter and teams uh, gain on you or they outscore you or, or, what, or you don't. You kneel down, and I know there's a couple of games when – Uh, the SC team could have scored some points like against Nebraska and others where they didn't attempt to score points. Uh, They just wanted to run the clock out because when you have a game won, it doesn't make any difference in in the standings. Uh, It does as far as rankings if you're trying to run it up and have a big win. But a win is a win, whether it's by one point or 15 points. So sometimes when the Trojans were ahead, they changed their game. And instead of going all out and maybe... Uh, trying to go down the field with deep passes and so on. They're going to try to keep the clock going. They're going to keep the play inside the sidelines so the clock keeps going. They want to move the chains and so on. And sometimes you have a different philosophy where the stat isn't necessarily the number of points you score. The stat is that you maintain your lead and win the football game. So when you look at a lot of stats sometimes, it doesn't always tell you the true story or the real uh, thing that's happening. You look at it and you like to analyze it and see why, especially if in the fourth quarter, say you were leading in, the, in most of the game and in the fourth quarter you had many points scored against you and you lost some close games. Then you'd want to look it up and you'd want to say, now, why did this happen? Are we out of shape? Was it our, Were we running? Do we have too many turnovers? We couldn't handle the pressure. So you look at that stat a little bit differently depending on what type of team you have and and what type of philosophy you're running at that time of the game. In most cases, the Trojans were ahead in the fourth quarter, uh, and uh, they wanted to win the football game and continued uh, not trying to pour it on, let's say, but get that victory and kneel down a couple of times. And then again, there's the Stanford game. When they when they needed all the points, they could get there in the fourth quarter and couldn't get them and, and lost. So, you know, it's, it's hard to, to evaluate the stats and, and look back at it and, Uh, But, uh, you know, I I would say that probably the only way I would look at it, I wouldn't make a big deal out of it. I'd look at the record and see how many games you won and lost, and I would be more concerned if we were outscored a lot and lost games in the fourth quarter. Then I'd look and say, why? Are we out of shape? What's happening? Uh, We can't handle the pressure and that type of thing.
3: Yeah, I I think the biggest, uh, you know, you talked about Stanford. Obviously, they, they needed to at least hold Stanford to fewer points in the fourth quarter or score some more points to win that game. Uh, the biggest one that kind of skewed the numbers a little bit, I think, was Nebraska. Uh, they outscored USC 21-7 to in the fourth quarter. I mean, I was at that game, and it was you know, a big blowout, and they kind of let you know, Nebraska score some points. I, I mean, I know Pete Carroll wasn't real happy about the points that they gave up in the fourth quarter, but that was kind of one of those telling things where they gave up points. It, was a real, it really was a blowout game. It was meaningless, but they did put up three touchdowns.
4: Yeah, I agree with that. I remember the end of the game. It was disappointing to see him get those points, though, you know. Uh, after dominating the game as much as you dominated the game, it actually made the game appear, if you just looked at the score, a little closer than what it actually was because the game was a complete blowout in a domination football game. on the road again in Lincoln uh, for the Trojans, uh, and again, uh, that happens. You know, you do a lot of substituting. You let up a little bit. You play at a different level of of intensity, and, uh, you know, teams are playing for pride. And they don't want to give up, and their coaches are are watching to see who has given up, and and uh, they got some scores on the Trojans. So, yeah, that that's a big stat on that game there.
3: Yeah, definitely. You know, I, and some of the people, there's a, there was a lot of discussion back and forth. Some people were talking that, oh, it's really not a big deal. Most of it, you know, was in kind of blowouts, and other people argue there wasn't as many blowouts and not as much garbage time as you've seen in years past where they were putting up 50 points a game. I mean, the the games were a little bit closer, and they, they weren't scoring as much. At, you know, but they, if you had like a, a 14 or 13-point lead, you know, Carroll, I think, was a little more conservative at times, and he wasn't trying to put on extra points and pile it on. Uh, they were just kind of holding on to, to the lead that they had, which wasn't as big, I think, as some of the leads they've had in years past.
4: I agree with you 100%. I think Carroll – Coach Carroll was was satisfied with the win and trying to hold on and get that win. And you know when you when you try to go for it a lot of times and and make big plays and throw the ball down the field and so on and try to get more points and so on as they've done with Carson Palmer and so on. Uh, things can go negative, uh, interceptions. Uh, you know things like the Stanford interception right at the start of the second half and. Stanford read the ball into the end zone and the whole momentum change in that game. You don't want to have any momentum changes in a game. And, and yes, the Trojans have had uh, a lot closer scores in a lot of the games. And and they played, really, last year, let's be honest, inconsistently on on offense. I mean, you had Booty hurt and injured in, I think it was two or three games. Sanchez came in and played. Played. Uh, they didn't, you know, the, the, the I we talked about the play call and we talked about Routes We talked about early in the season Fred Davis wasn't in the passing game and the receivers didn't play well, so Fred Davis came, carried the passing game. We talked about rotation of the backs and, and who was going to be the running back and who was going to be the guy. And uh, there was a lot of question marks offensively last year, and, and I'm not sure if the offense really did play up to what everyone expected him to play up to after the preseason hype. I, I really don't. And I think what happens is people get spoiled. What I mean is you're used to the Carson Palmers. You're used to the Matt Leinart. You're used to these uh, Dale Jarrett. You're, you're, you're used to these exciting players and these big plays and these blowouts. And when it becomes a little closer and, and you start second-guessing, and you second-guess yourself as a coach, and you second-guess yourself as players, are you doing the right things? And then the fans get involved, and then I get involved, and Ryan, you get involved. <laughs> you know, as far as people asking me what what happened on Sunday, coach, or what 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 why why did they do this or why did they do that, and and Sarkisian was a first year offensive coordinator, so you know he was learning a lot about how to drive a Ferrari. You know, uh, you know your first car when you have a Ferrari. It's a little dangerous, and you got to learn how to drive that. And you make some mistakes, and if you don't watch yourself, you can kill yourself. You know, he didn't <laughs> learn to drive in a. A uh, I don't want to criticize somebody's car <laughs> by low <laughs> grading it, but I don't know.
3: How about but, a Yugo? Like those don't exist anymore. Someone might. Yeah, still have right. One.
4: Yeah, how, how about you know? He 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 was handed the keys to a Ferrari, and everyone expected these this Ferrari. To go roaring down the football field, and it didn't you know, all the time. So people were second guessing him, and and he was second guessing himself. And the receivers weren't playing uh, as well as they should be playing, or blocking as well as they should be blocking. And so you know, uh, you know those stats. And when you look back at the season, yes, they didn't have all the blowout games. I have to agree with those people that are, that are making those comments, but they still won big games and if they hadn't lost one game they'd have played for the national championship and i'm not saying they would have won the national championship but i think they'd have had a good run for it and they possibly could have won the national championship because they'd have played ohio state rather than uh, rather than lsu playing ohio state and i would i would have bet on usc if i was a betting guy
3: yes uh, i'm kind of a betting guy i definitely would have uh, followed your lead on that one coach I guess the final the final point on this the uh, last post in the thread at least for right now uh, they kind of make a point that the real litmus test is going to come on September 13th and I think that's one of those things where you know the Trojan fans a lot of times they care how much they beat Cal by you know they want to win you know but winning by five isn't all that exciting for them they want to win by 21 points they want to win by three four touchdowns but when you have games like Ohio State on the schedule that's one where if you win by a fraction of a point, it doesn't matter. Like, that's just a game, if you can figure out a way to win, it doesn't matter how many points you scored in what quarter or whatever. Uh, it's such a big game that just all that counts is the victory.
4: No, you're exactly right. And I'm going to tell you, this is going to be quite a challenge for the Trojans. Playing at home in the Coliseum against Ohio State. You know, Ohio State has 10 returners on offense and 9 returners on defense. And I would say they are they as are sound as, and they do what Jim Trestle tells them to do as well as any team in the country. They're one of the best coached teams in the country. They are very powerful. They are very physical. Uh, you're not going to drive the ball down the field on their defense. Uh, if you have turnovers, they're going to take advantage of you. If they can run the football with Wells and these people, they're going to run the football. They're going to hold on to the football. The type of teams that beat Ohio State are the type of teams that can make big plays big plays, Uh, jump up, hit a 60-yard pass, run a punt back for a touchdown, put them in a position where they have to try to catch up and take them out of their game. Their game is to dominate you on defense, give their offense field position, pound you, pound you, pound you, play action, pass, surprise you with the pass, and, and beat you. So this is going to be a tremendous challenge for USC against Ohio State. Wow. I'll tell you. Uh, And it's a very important game for the Big Ten, not that it isn't for the Pac-10 and USC. But Ohio State, you know, has played in the national championship game and has lost the past two years, and these players have experienced that. And they've heard a lot about USC, USC, USC. They would have played USC in the Rose Bowl the past two years if it was the old format. So this is huge. And, And, you know, right now I would give the edge to Ohio State. Uh, I know people don't like to hear that, but as far as experience is, and playing in big games, not that SC hasn't played in big games, but they're going to have three games. Uh, they're going to have two preseason games. The FC's one preseason game. They're going to uh, uh, have more returning starters to what USC has. They have a returning quarterback that started. They have a returning tailback that is a pounder and a real great player. They've got uh, one of the top linebacker cores in America. Defensive line is tough. So, you know, right now, before anyone starts to play and what's going on, I'd have to give the advantage to Ohio State in this game. But I think the Coliseum will help motivate, and, and you know, and the crowd in the Coliseum will be on the Trojan side. But I, but I want you to know Ohio State will be a very good football team, and they are really well coached.
3: Yeah, I agree with you. We'll definitely be breaking this down on the podcast. Uh, the, the good thing, we do this every week. We can preview the game coming up and review the game that just happened, and we'll definitely be doing that for Ohio State. Coach, one thing I want to look at in that game especially is the unproven wide receivers from USC going against a top-notch Ohio State secondary. Big, fast, strong. So I think that's going to be one of the key matchups in this game, but we'll definitely get into that more. Uh, one last topic. I want to talk to you about a little coach. I was down at Narbonne high school in Harbor city, uh, California. It's uh, down here, South Bay area, just kind of near like San Pedro and stuff like that. Um, interesting story out of the rising stars camp that happened a couple weeks ago, four-star athlete from rivals.com. Byron Moore uh, was a UCLA commit. He was a longtime Trojan fan since he was a little kid and uh, at the camp was really impressive, and uh, Coach Carroll ended up extending a scholarship offer to him. And almost immediately, you know, Byron Moore decided to switch his commitment from UCLA to USC. And I was, if, if people don't know the recruiting process there, no one's allowed to sign a letter of intent until February. These uh, Byron Moore is part of the class of 2009, so he would be coming in next fall, not this year. He can't sign until February of 2009 Um, And all those verbal commitments, there's no early signing period in in college football. So you have to wait to sign officially until February. So if anyone says I'm committed to a school, it doesn't mean anything until they actually sign a piece of paper. So even Byron Moore saying he's coming to USC, um, you know, obviously it's not set in stone yet. But coach, having a kid decommit from a even just from a, same, a school in the same conference and de- deciding to commit to another school, where you know you're going to play that that team and that coach over and over again throughout your career, but having a kid switch from UCLA to USC is just not something that that happens all that often. I just wanted to kind of get your your comments on that because he's a great player. He was one of the best players in UCLA's class, and they've built a lot of momentum under Rick Neuheisel. Uh, and this has to be a kind of a blow to them, be, you know? USC taking a kid like this away from them.
4: Well, I'll tell you, you never really quit recruiting a kid, okay? And Pete Carroll doesn't do a lot of early offering. Uh, they also offered a kid named Harris uh, two weeks ago in a camp, a defensive back from Las Vegas. And uh, this kid is a three-star kid, and he accepted to go to USC because he sh- uh, did such a great job in their camp at USC. He had been offered by, uh, I think, Washington, Arizona State, Washington State, and so on. But when SC offered him, the kid went crazy. The kid went crazy and and, and committed right in Coach Carroll's office and said, I've always wanted to be a Trojan. I live in Las Vegas but grew up in Pasadena. And and this is my life, a dream come true. I'm telling everybody, don't bother me. I'm I'm going to USC. Well, you know, a lot of offers kids take them because it's a great emotional thing to be offered by UCLA when you live in Southern California. But UCLA you know, is the other school in town that really uh, is now in a mode with a uh, great staff and so on, to to turn it around a little bit. And last year they had a great recruiting class. But, again, when you're offered by a school that wears T-shirts and hands out T-shirts that say, USC win forever, that's quite a statement. And that really does impress me. And when kids go to a camp and see that t-shirt, USC win forever, and see the athletes and see the facility, sometimes that verbal commit didn't mean as much as it did when a real commit from the school that maybe might be one of the top schools next year in the country or has been and win forever uh, rings a bell and and you say, you know, I want to go to USC. Uh, It's a, it's something that, it's hard to explain I've had it happen to me a lot of times I've had kids and then all of a sudden someone comes in on him and I say uh oh man we're going to lose this kid we're going to lose this kid and that kid's offered it and it happens now it doesn't just happen to UCLA it happens to every school in the country it happens all the time where the top athlete like in the state of Arizona last year, Griffin I mean there's Arizona State in Arizona FC goes in there Office Griffin gets the state player of the year in Arizona, gets a state player of the year in Louisiana, gets a state player of the year in Michigan, <laughs> you know, because, and in Florida, or close to, and Brian. But it's a bell that's being rung now that everybody wants to be a part of and wants to say, hey, I got offered by USC, I'm going to USC. And when you wear that USC shirt, and you walk around, it sort of lights you up, and it sort of has others look at you with envy. And I think every kid now out there would like to be a Trojan, because that's what the Trojans have going on right now. Now, back in the Midwest, probably in Ohio and Michigan, if you look at their classes, they're having great recruiting classes this year. Oklahoma's having a great recruiting class this year. Because of the same feeling in those areas that USC has here in Southern California. And this is a Southern California kid that grew up right by USC. So it's, it's, it's something that, you know, that to him lights you up. And you think of wearing that shirt and hearing that song and knowing where you're ranked and winning forever right now. And that's their statement. Hey, how can you beat that? How can you? And and it happens all the time. I've lost kids, and I've switched kids to come back over, that have committed to other schools, that I've stayed on and worked with, offered a scholarship to, and they have decommitted and come, and uh, committed to me. So it's just part of recruiting. You know, it isn't done till it's done, and who knows? You know, UCLA will probably be after Berkeley all the way, or somebody else all the way, or or whatever, because. You know, you never know. If you don't treat everything right all the way along, uh, something always
0: could happen.
3: Yeah, and I agree with the coach. And we'll, we'll follow his recruitment on uscfootball.com all the way through February. Uh, I think the significant part is that he's one of several city kids that last year UCLA did really well recruiting. And I think Pete Carroll's kind of doubled his efforts. And they got kids like Chris Metcalf and Morell Presley who – uh, Byron Moore is really good friends with and he got some of those city kids and Byron Moore was one of them He didn't get P. Carroll didn't get but now he did he switched him over so I think they're doing really well With a lot of the local kids and I think uh, you know the class is gonna be very like it's gonna be a well bonded class Just because so many of them are gonna be playing against each other, you know in high school throughout, you know throughout their careers But you're
4: exactly right and this Harris kid from Las Vegas is only a three-star player but I want you to know, I was in Vegas, and I just got back this week. And I was talking to coaches that are up there. This kid has run. He last year he ran five touchdowns back on kickoffs. He's a track star. He's got great speed. A defensive back. He runs four three eight. And uh, I'll tell you, that's exactly what the Trojans are looking for. He, they found someone in a camp that a lot of times all these scouting services and so on don't know about. But when these kids come to camp and compete against the best supposed best that are out there and shine, all of a sudden, when you look at this kid, he'll be reevaluated. He will. By the end of recruiting, he won't be a three-star. He'll be a four-star or five-star.
3: Yeah, and I actually talked to Gerard Martinez, our recruiting writer, about that, and he said, yeah, as soon as Rivals gets the rest of his tape, they'll be bumping him up to a four-star because it's so impressive. So, yeah, you're sure. right. It definitely happens. And when they see him, especially when you see people in person at camps and you can compare them head-to-head, head, you're like, nope, this Harris kid's better than you know whoever, and we're going to make him a four-star guy.
4: That's exactly right. And, uh, you know, the kid's from Pasadena. grew up in Pasadena, California, mm-hmm. and uh, moved to Las Vegas and said he's always wanted to be a Trojan. And he said he hated UCLA.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So I'm sure Pete Carroll loved that.
4: (laughs) Yeah. Put it in print. Put it in the Vegas R.J.
3: (laughs) Sweet. All right, Coach. Well, we uh, ran a little long, but that's okay. It's always great talking to you. Um, Thanks very much for your time and uh, for sharing your insights on the Trojans this segment.
4: Well, thank you very much, Ryan. And you have a great week. Okay, buddy?
3: Yeah. And I just want to thank again, Southern California Tickets, -tickets sctickets.com. Give them a call, one 800 888-7287 888-7287 uh, when we come back from this quick break we're going to talk to A.J. Jacobson from the Ducks Sports Authority about the uh, USC Oregon game so stay tuned
2: you're listening to the Parastyle podcast from Los Angeles California tickets 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 SC tickets is your concert sports and theater ticket source we have the tickets you need to any event worldwide Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com, SC Tickets, concert, Sports, and Theater.
5: It's time to get back to
2: the Peristyle podcast, presented by uscfootball.com.
3: All right. Welcome back to the second segment of the Parastyle podcast. In this segment, we're going to be talking about the Oregon Ducks, the upcoming game uh, with USC. It will be a home game this year, and we are talking to A.J. Jacobson. He is the publisher of ducksportsauthority.com. A.J., how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing just fine, Ryan. Thank you.
3: All right. Thanks for joining us. Uh, take care of a little business first. Want to Thank our sponsor for this segment, it's the Law Offices of Bart Ring. So if you've probably heard about it before on the podcast, Bart Ring's a loyal Trojan. He's been helping Trojans with their legal problems for the last 20 years. If you have any legal problems, you need to get a hold of him. You can call him at 818-587-9299 or you can go to his website, bartringlaw.com. All right. So AJ, just uh, first off, I saw one of the latest things you wrote on the website. Was uh, you know Mike Belotti talking about the quarterbacks? Obviously Dennis Dixon is gone, uh, Leaf is gone. What was the uh, quarterback race like this spring for the Ducks?
1: Well, it was an interesting race. The front runner of the race was hard to evaluate because he was out of contact, and that would be Nate Costa. Costa played for the Ducks as a true freshman two years ago because he did some exciting things in practice, and the coaches wanted to start introducing him sooner. But of course last year he tore his ACL uh, prior to the season, had it surgically repaired just, I think, just the very beginning of the season, and then, of course, could not get back on the field in time for last year, so he wasn't really available, Uh, and in spring he was protected, so what we saw was uh, six quarterbacks uh, were here in the spring. Actually, I take that back. There were, yeah, five that were alive. Uh, We had uh, the, the two freshmen from last year, which would be uh, Justin Roper, who started in the, in the Sun Bowl. And then we had Cody Kemp, who started the UCLA game prior to that. And behind them, we had two true freshmen that both showed up early. It was uh, Chris Harper and Darren Thomas, uh, and uh, as I said, both true freshmen. And then we had a, a, a walk-on whose name was Kate Cooper, who subsequently has transferred from the team. So it was, the people we saw in spring at quarterback weren't all around uh, Cody Kemp left uh, for Mo- and transferred to Montana State. Um, the walk-on quarterback left and transferred to a small school. So we were left with the two freshmen uh, and, and, of course, uh, the, the star of the Sun Bowl. So um, the people we got to evaluate this spring will not be who we're necessarily looking at this fall because we also added a, a guy, a JT transfer named Jeremiah Mastoli, who apparently will be right in the mix right off the bat. So uh, that's what I'm thinking uh, we saw this spring.
3: All right. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously your leading passer is gone with Dennis Dixon. He was also one of the leading rushers on the team, Uh, him along with Jonathan Stewart. Two leading rushers off the team are gone. What did the uh, running back situation look like when you were checking it out?
1: Running back situation was, uh, again, difficult to evaluate just because we had Jeremiah Johnson out of contact uh, for the spring, who will certainly be our number one guy come fall. Uh, Apparently he's 100% ready to go, but what we did get was, LeGarrette Blount, who was a J.C. transfer, showed up a little bit early. Uh was, was really exciting to us because we knew he had good thickness and size and good length. Uh, what we didn't realize was that he had good vision in space and that he could make people miss. He could, he could run through people, uh, but he could also make people miss. So he had an element to his game that was very difficult to evaluate on the tape, but it was very nice to see once he got here. I think what we saw was that LeGarrette Blount is going to be a good complement to Jeremiah Johnson at the running back position. You've got a very strong runner and a very elusive, uh, quick and fast guy. So uh, that's what we're kind of projecting going into the fall would be those two guys, although some of the younger guys, uh, you know, had their moments too in the spring. But those would be the two guys I'd focus on going into fall.
3: Okay. And then, uh, you know, out wide receivers, top two, I believe the top two receivers – uh, I think it's Williams and Dick Williams and Dixon. If that's not, uh, if I'm not mistaken, they're both they're both returning. Is that right? Uh, that's correct. And Dixon, being the tight end, uh, Ed Dixon,
1: and um, of course uh, will, uh, Jason Williams will be a senior next year. And Jason has had a few tremendous games for the Ducks throughout his career, starting really with his sophomore year. So he'll be back. Uh, we'll have some other seniors, Terrence Scott, who is a uh, is, might come in into his own as a senior. Um, there's a transfer, uh, Jameer Holland, who uh, some Trojan fans might be familiar with. Uh, Certainly, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, he had his moments in spring also. So, um, But primarily, I think our number one guy will probably be Jason Williams. Ed Dixon at tight end is a, a great option, and I think you're going to see a lot of passing to him too at that position.
3: Okay, yeah, definitely. I think uh, a lot of Trojan fans love to see his speed. Uh, I think they were disappointed when he when he transferred out, but you know, all the kids got to do what's – what's good for them uh, you know I'm, I'm sure they'll be excited to hear that he had a, a great spring and he's doing well there I'm sure people will be rooting for him uh, I don't think they'll be rooting for him uh, come October 4th but you know right
1: <laughs> well uh, he has that one intangible that you just can't teach and that's that pure speed and I think a lot of programs could use him and I imagine from a Trojan perspective they're not thrilled to see him go to a Pac-10 school because he is a talent you know he does have that speed that's very difficult for a a defensive back to keep up with when he's having to turn his hips and all that. So um, it could be exciting, you know, if he gets himself in the rotation uh, at wide receiver, which is very possible, um, you may well be seeing him.
3: Oh yeah. And I mean, he's certainly someone that can stretch the field with that speed. So it's always a threat to score. And uh, you know, he might not catch that many balls this year, but I bet you he gets a few, Few at least big long plays, a couple of touchdowns, stuff like that. Um, just overall on the offense, I think there was some, you had to replace some offensive linemen as well. There's just five returning starters. Do you think it's going to take them a little bit of time to kind of gel? I mean, obviously with Dixon in there, they were remarkable. You know, it was just a, an incredible offensive machine. And once he went down, it just kind of everything kind of fell apart, I guess. But what are, what are you expecting out of the Duck offense this year? Well, the
1: thing with the Duck offensive line in particular is that. It's as deep as we've ever really had at Oregon with serviceable guys. I mean, uh, we've had we've had six and seven man rotations, particularly when uh, Coach Ambuco's was offensive line. With Coach Greatwood, he likes a little more depth than that, and I think it's starting to pay off. I'm not. I think it might be a, a compilation of the recruiting classes and, and you know some solid evaluations of the most difficult position to to recruit in terms of evaluation, and that's offensive line. So I think Greatwood's done a good job of identifying guys because right now we have about 12 that can rotate on in that are all guys that if they're healthy are, are division one football players. But of course our offensive line this year is going to be centered by Max Unger and literally and, 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 and spiritually, because Unger is the leader of that offensive line and he's going to play center. Uh, he's, he's the kind of guy who's going to be on people's watch list all year long and maybe one of the best, or at least the high, most highly touted lineman uh, on the West coast this year. So Unger will lead that group. Uh, on the on the outsides, I think we're going to uh, have uh, Fanuiki Tapuo uh, man the left side. It, it, it sounds like to me. Um, we will have some guys that, that that can block, and I think they're pretty deep. We have a number of guys that also can play multiple positions. So uh, it, it's very difficult to say well, like who the starting five is and who the next five is, because the next five has some you know a couple members of the starting five in it. Um, and then the, the third deep has a couple mirrors the number two, and it's just all kind of mixed together based on multiple positions. I think the Ducks can be very solid and can withstand injuries up front this year. And if we have a quarterback that can run like like the Chip Kelly likes for this offense, then it can make an offensive line look awfully good like Dennis Dixon was able to last year. A lot of guys could have lined up in front of him and looked good because he was able to elude tacklers. So... Um, we're looking for a guy that can throw the ball to play quarterback for us, but can also make an offensive line look good just by eluding that first rusher and getting through and breaking in the second level.
3: Okay. Now, real, real quickly, you mentioned Chip Kelly. He is the offensive coordinator that knows the spread that they got from was it Vermont or New Hampshire? I, I, I'm a New England guy. I should know this, but I don't remember.
1: Well, then he's he's from New Hampshire, New Hampshire, and that's where he coached for a long, long time as an offensive coordinator before coming here.
3: Yeah. What did people think of him? I mean, just I mean, obviously going to a, from a small school to a big school like that with with a coach that's known for knowing the offense as well.
1: It was an interesting transition. Uh, It was one of those things that you know well when you're watching the fan base react to something. Initially, of course, they didn't like it because they had a list of guys that were names that had been in Sports Illustrated or whatever. Wherever they'd read the name before, they had not read Chip Kelly up here in Eugene very much. And uh, I think it became quickly evident through some interviews he did that were – very difficult to transcribe because he's an East coast talker and I can't hardly, you know, when I talk into the it's I I feel like asking to slow down, but probably it's not a good (laughs) idea. So I don't, but um, he, he came here and and almost immediately turned the minds of the duck fans because he got such positive feedback from his players. And then of course the first season he, he was highly successful on running that spread offense, and he did a great job of developing Dennis Dixon and bringing him from where he was as a junior and was you know I'm not saying fully responsible, but partially responsible for the development he had that that off season and in fall camp. Uh, He's shown a propensity to develop guys. Given a couple of games, we saw in the Sun Bowl. that, Well, we had no offense against UCLA last year after losing Dennis Dixon. With two true you know two redshirt freshmen to get ready one week, that was enough time to get ready for UCLA. But by the next week, we scored 31 points against Oregon State. So. Uh, and then the next, you know, the following, you know, given several weeks to prepare for Florida uh, University of South Florida, the, the Duck offense has dominated that team. So I think one of the things Chip Kelly brought and people saw right away was that he developed quarterbacks and he made offenses better. So uh, I think Eugene and Duckdom is completely in love with Chip Kelly right now. Now at all the speculation, is gosh, how long will we keep him from? Having to get a, a head coaching position somewhere, so it went from being very <laughs> dubious to a grand love affair within months.
3: Uh, with him. that's good news. Does he talk? Yeah. Kind of pack Packy, a cat is like he's a pretty good New England accent. Is it pretty thick?
1: Well, he's got a lot to say. That Chip Kelly, and when he starts talking, um, there's not a lot of space in between words. I'll put uh, it that. Way.
3: Okay, that's good. That's yeah. good. Old. No, note.
1: it's not a thick. It's not a real thick accent, but he doesn't say some words right. I'll tell you that.
3: Okay. All right. No, I guess I moved to New England when I was about eleven, so I never really had that accent. But you kind of got used to hearing it, so it was kind of, kind of interesting. All right. Well, let's switch to the uh, defensive side of the ball. Uh, up front, you know, seven defender, uh, seven starters back on defense, so it should be a little more similar to what we saw last year. Defensive line looks like the middle got shaken up a little bit, but the ends are still back. Is that correct? Yeah. The
1: the ends are back, and of course. Gosh, I think – I'm sorry about this, right? I think in your interview here I said, of course, 11 times now. I'm not counting, but, my gosh, it's a lot. (laughs)
3: No worries. We're just trying to inform the Trojan fans. We are
1: returning both uh, defensive ends. Nick Reed on one side uh, is going to be a very, very good football player. He's a tremendous college football player. He doesn't quite have the prototypical NFL or really uh, Pac-10 defensive end size, but he just has this motor – He's able to make moves that get around tackle. So we're, we're again very very excited about having Nick Reed around again. Uh, on the other side of the ball, we're having uh, Will Tukulafu will man the position. Uh, he started most of the games last year and he's a solid complement to Reed. Like you alluded to, Ryan, up the middle, the Ducks don't have the horses they've had in the past. It looks like Cole Linehan had a great spring uh, at defensive tackle, as did Rashawn Harris. So I would say at this point it looks like those two guys are solid number ones, and behind them is a big question mark. If, uh, if people were to check out Duck Sports Authority, they'd find that we interviewed Justin Thompson last night and posted the interview today. Justin Thompson is a junior college defensive end transfer. He's telling us that he will be here in time for, for fall camp, which I'm sure is uh, great news to Duck fans and probably Duck coaches too.
3: Okay, good. Well, I like the, the little plug there. You know, we're just trying to... Uh, yeah. We appreciate the information. I'm going through, you know, the whole Pac-10 for arrivals. Actually, the whole schedule, so I'm glad. Definitely, people want to check out the site, they should definitely do that. You can learn a lot more about the Ducks from AJ. Um, linebackers, there were some injuries, uh, and two of the starters, I believe, are, are now gone. They, they've moved on. What? But it looks like there's some young talent there. It could be some actually improvement at the linebackers, even though there's going to be some shakeup there.
1: The... Uh, Coach Don Pelham is our linebacker coach for that position, and I did have an interview with him last week, and he says that he probably has the best overall talent that he's ever had here. Yes, we did lose some guys, but it appears that at every position, the the three positions he's responsible for, there's some very competent uh, young talent, uh, the exception being uh, middle linebacker and his competent older talent because John Bacon's coming back off an injury uh, and he would be a senior kind of incumbent at that middle linebacker position. Um, but I think uh, Coach Pelham was extremely confident with the uh, depth he's, he's got. He says he's not sure who's going to start at uh, two of the positions, but he's very confident he's going to have a very good football football player there with some depth behind him. So uh, that was good news to me. I wasn't really clear on the, the linebacker situation myself. It was nice to hear Coach Pelham uh, rave about his guys.
3: Okay. And then uh, last part of the defense when you t- I mean the Ducks have had a great secondary over the years and probably the best news of the off season was when Patrick Chung the leading tackler on the team decided to come back and, and play again. Was that it just must not been a, it's almost like a huge recruiting coup just to keep him keep him up there in Eugene.
1: Well, you, yeah, you can't have any recruiting coups bigger if you're going to equate it like that because you can't bring in like a five-star guy, you know, five-star and going to play like that like we know Patrick Chung can. Uh, that was great news because it came on the heels of Jonathan Stewart declaring, and we weren't sure of that either. So, um, yeah, the, uh, Patrick Chung made our summer as as a Duck fan base. The uh, the other cornerbacks he works with are very, very good, and, and Willie Glass or Walter Thurmond. So I think three guys you're going to see in the Duck backfield are all going to be extremely strong uh, incumbents that uh, – well, Thurman and Glasper have all started since their freshman year, and they'll be juniors, so they should have some experience there uh, keeping track of uh, Pac-10 receivers. Uh, we all know what Chung can do, and I think the uh, the coaches are very excited about it. Free safety, Mar- or excuse me, at Rover, Marvin Johnson's work this spring. So we're definitely going to have a deep and strong secondary. That might be the strength of the team.
3: All right. Then uh, last one, we'll just talk about the game a little bit. Obviously, uh you know, it's Mark Sanchez's first start was against Oregon and uh, up in Eugene. And, and I thought I thought Oregon played really well. Uh, USA hung in there, but just it was, you know, the Ducks were just too much. They were kind of like caught them, you know, the Ducks were really on a high and uh, they won that game and they deservedly so. They're going to have to come to the Coliseum. Uh, obviously, there's going to be a little sense of revenge because usually when Pete Carroll loses a game to a Pac 10 opponent the previous year, they come back and and do a number on on the next year. But Mark Sanchez might have a little bit, you know, if he ends up being the starter, like everyone projects, that was his first start. So he might be even a little more focused than he normally would. There's probably not much talk about this game because, you know, Oregon has to play, you know, Utah State and playing at Purdue and Boise State all before this game, plus a couple of Pac-10 games, Washington and Washington State, all up in the Pacific Northwest. What are just kind of overall thoughts, if anyone's mentioned anything about this USC game, and, and what are you kind of expecting out of the Ducks?
1: Like you said, the USC game is a ways off. Uh, I, I personally haven't given it much thought, but I can give you some of my thoughts right real quick here. That, you know, obviously looking at the duck schedule, the USC game at USC is going to be the toughest game. It's going to be the toughest game on anybody's schedule at USC. So, that's not going to be any different. Uh, like you said last year, um, it was a very, very excellent and hard-fought football game. That was one of those games where both teams could have come away with a win, and. Uh, Up in Austin, under that situation, the Ducks did win that game. Uh, I'd be surprised if the the, uh, USC team felt too much of a revenge factor other than just the getting beat part, because I think everyone involved in that game realized what a solid football game both teams played. So usually there's some respect as much as anything coming out of those, although how can you not have some revenge factor? It's defending your home turf is what it's doing. So I would expect... USC is going to be as fired up for that game as they're going to be for almost any game on their season because they know that the Ducks are one of the top contenders for the Pac-10 crown, and you can't have a letdown in the Pac-10 season and still be crowned as the champion, not most seasons. And you certainly in the Pac-10 aren't going to be the national champ if you get a loss. So I think USC is going to have every incentive to win that game. On the other hand, I don't think the Ducks are going to have anything to lose because no one's going to be penciling them in for a W without the points. So... Good game coming up there. I hope both teams are playing well when the time comes and don't have a lot of injuries to mar that situation because it has the makings of a very, very solid football game.
3: Yeah, I agree with you. I think there's a, a, there's not, I don't think there's much of a hatred there for that rivalry, not like maybe with Oregon and Oregon State or USC and UCLA. It seems to be a lot more respect. And I, I think the USC players knew that Oregon was just on fire and they played really well and they were. I mean, they, uh, if Dixon doesn't go down, I don't see how they couldn't have. They could have beat Ohio State, I think, for the national championship for sure. Um, but, you know, that's, that's water under the bridge. We'll see what happens when the game comes around. But A.J. Jacobson, Duck Sports Authority, uh, thank you very much for joining us and sharing your thoughts on the Ducks.
1: Ryan, thanks for having me, and I'm sure we'll talk uh, before game week.
3: Definitely we will. And uh, for everyone else coming up, we have the third segment of the show. We're going to talk to USC, beat, uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Wojcicki. About the uh, summer workouts are continuing again. Uh, workouts got going again today. So we'll talk about that as they're preparing for fall camp. Stay tuned.
2: The Paristyle Podcast will be back after this short break.
3: Trojan fans have legal problems or questions only an attorney can answer. Contact the law offices of Bart Ring. Bart is a proud Trojan alum who has been taking care of the legal needs of the USC family, its alumni, and fans for over 20 years. Like the Trojans under Pete Carroll, Bart and his team achieve successful results for their clients by preparation and outworking the opposition. Call Bart at 818-587-9299 or go to bartringlaw.com to see if he can help you with your legal issues. Don't forget to mention the Peristyle Podcast for a free consultation.
5: We now return to the Parastyle
2: Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham.
3: Welcome back to the final segment of this week's Parastyle Podcast. We are going to talk to uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Wyke. Not not new uscfootball.com beat writer anymore. You're just a regular beat writer now, Dan. How you doing? I'm, I'm a grizzled
0: veteran at this rate. <laughs>
3: been here since May 1st, and he's been around the program. I think you know just about everybody's name now, right?
0: Just about. I'm doing. I'm doing all right. Um, you know, every once in a while I still get tripped up on somebody, but uh, doing pretty good.
3: Yeah, and I think it's it's harder now for anyone that's covered this team. If you go down in summer workouts, it's funny how many people ask you, oh, "Who's that? Who's that?" It's harder to know the guys without their uniforms on because there's no numbers. You just have to kind of know them by face and know them by body type, mm-hmm. stuff like that. So if you know them now, then once they put the numbers on, it's a lot easier.
0: I haven't even started to try to think about the numbers. Yeah. <laughs> I've just been working on names and faces. So. Yeah, it, it does a little <laughs> challenging.
3: When they put the uh, face masks on, then you have to know the numbers because you can't see who they are. So,
0: Yeah, right. So I don't know. We'll figure it out. Think up uh, for rosters. Yes, rosters Probably. are
3: good. We'll be handing them out at uh, fall camp. So if everyone doesn't know, uh, players report August 5th, and uh, fall camp begins on August 6th. They have to do, I think, four. There's four or five one-a-day practices before they start the two-a-day uh, sessions going. And it takes, like I think, mm-hmm. about the third practice they can start putting pads on. So it gets more yeah, I Yeah,
0: it's three practices. I'm, I'm almost 100% sure. Yeah, so, so it,
3: it, it goes on. It, it's a fun time. We'll definitely be down there. Pete Carroll welcomes fans to come down, check it out. So definitely do that. We'll be handing out rosters on the sidelines, and we'll be doing tons of reports and uh, videos and photos. So stay tuned to uscfootball.com. For all of that, we'll keep you up to date of what's going on. But today, what we wanted to focus on was some of the incoming freshmen. Looks like, Dan, all of the freshmen except three are are enrolled and taking summer classes and doing summer workouts.
0: Exactly. Uh, just from uh, talking to the guys and the guys I saw today, everybody is there except for uh, defensive end Nick Perry, offensive lineman Daniel Campbell, and running back Curtis McNeil. Those are three guys that still have some stuff to, to clear up uh, academically. Um, you know, I'm not saying that any of those guys aren't going to get in or are, um, it's just that they're not here yet. So that's kind of, that's kind of where they typically, you know, you got about a week until school to, to get a guy on campus. So, um, those guys have got some work to do this summer and, and they're, um, they're taking care of that and they're not, you know, they're obviously they'll be a step behind because, um, just from talking to some of the freshmen, uh, today, you know, just talking to guys like Tyron Smith and, and other guys that you know, it's really good to get in, and because everything that they're doing is new, you know, every stretch, every every workout or exercise, like they're not doing anything that they've ever done before, and you have to learn that stuff first to to do it well, and to get the maximum benefits out of it. So, you know, I think a lot of this these early weeks, um, you know, I think it's been about two weeks since a lot of guys have been there, between between a week and two weeks. And, uh, you know, from everybody I've talked to, you know, things are going good. Just seeing the guys interact with each other, you know, I mean, you know, I was, uh, talking to Alan Bradford today and Bryce Butler came by on his bike and, and AB was talking about going to hang out over at Bryce's place when Bryce got done with class, you know, maybe play some Madden or something like that. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's good to see, you know, that, that those guys are in the mix. And, and you know, I mean, like I said, we've talked about this before. Um, I don't know if we've done it, you know, for the podcast, but, it's a really likable group of guys all the guys that when we were when we were doing updates in the um, you know in the, in the in the late spring I thought I, I was really impressed with just the the overall character and you know very smart and, and just good people and and they seemed you know they seemed like they had all had like you know good heads on their shoulders and and that's kind of that's I'm getting more of that impression now and obviously you know there's they're meshing well and and, and that's that's a huge part of it. So things are going well with the freshmen right, right. now.
3: Well, hopefully they feel the same way about you, and they don't uh, turn down any interview request. But so far so good. I think they must. They um, must
0: actually, be... <laughs> Br- Bryce Butler requested an interview today.
3: Wow, um,
0: I'm impressed. Uh, so, yeah, no, right? And uh, you know, it's his arms are so long; he'd be like 30 feet away and just grab the <laughs> grab the tape recorder out of my hand. So he does have a lot long. So arm. No, Yeah, he's a boy. He he's been one of the guys who's really been a standout so far in the first couple weeks. Um, looks (laughs) looks the part of a of a of a receiver. I mean, once he gets he's a little he's a little slender right now, but you know you put put a little weight on his frame. He's got great long arms, long legs, and the thing that everybody's been impressed with that I've talked to every player that I've talked about Bryce Butler has said the same thing. He runs great routes and and. And that's obviously that's one of those things too that, that that can take a little while to learn and he's got a huge step up by, by knowing that stuff now
3: that's good yeah I think and you make a great, a great point about being there early I mean obviously the one that has the, the biggest advantage is Matt Meyer he was there in the spring and uh, you know he was an early enrollee and that helps because he gets mm-hmm. to know all you know he's gone through complete practices before not just workouts not just players only practices. Uh, but for some of the guys that are, that haven't showed up yet and they're going to show up, to, you know, just at fall camp. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to there's going to be a little steeper learning curve for them, but they should be able to to catch on there. But um, just one of the guys that I know you had a hard time getting a hold of. And I think we kind of understand why now we've we've had Dan try to give a lot of the incoming freshmen a call before they got to campus and just kind of get an update of what they're thinking. you know, after they signed their letter of intent and they're getting ready to come to school and they're now graduating one of the guys, uh, Drew McAllister, you had a hard time getting a hold of. I think you have a little update on him. You can share with everybody.
0: Yeah, um, I, was, I, th- I saw Drew today, and uh, you know, I was actually I was really excited to talk to him finally because I tried to get hold of him a few times, and uh, you know, it turns out that uh, last week, um, right before, I think he was coming. Uh, uh, the date, the dates will be screwed up, but he was coming. He was coming down here um, from Northern California on a Sunday, and the Friday before that, he, he said that you know he started feeling some just like some general fuel like symptoms you know a little bit of a fever a little nauseous nothing too major didn't really, didn't really think much of it oh then sunday morning you woke up had really bad pain in this side this mom was like you know it's a long car ride we we should take you to the ER we would hate to get in the car and have something go something go wrong and it turned out he had an infection on his appendix so he actually he had appendicitis and oh. he had his appendix removed so <laughs> he, he he's uh he was a little indisposed for a little while, but uh, you know, he's back. He's not working out quite yet. He hasn't been cleared. Um, it'll be um, he's been watching workouts and he's been spending a lot of time with the coaches and in the film room and, and doing that type of stuff and doing the mental preparation, which, you know, I mean we could we could sit and talk about that for twenty minutes about what's more important. And you know, you know, he's doing the, the mental aspect right now. Um he said he's hopeful that, you know, within the next week or so he'll be able to get back on the field. I know he, he wants to be out there. It's something where Especially when you when you go through all spring and you know he was on a track and 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 he was in great shape and re, and ready to get out there and, and show what he can do and you know you get a little derailed by, by something some that you can't really control like appendicitis I mean that's just you know that's kind of a fluke thing so it's uh it was uh, it was good talking to him though and, and you know he's another another good kid you know and that's the the, the hallmark it seems of, of these P. Carroll classes is that they're just littered with good people. And they're they're people that you know are going to work hard, and they're people that you know that are going to listen because they want to be great, and that and that's really um, it really translates into how they they carry themselves off the field too.
3: Yeah, I agree with you, and uh, you know, it's it's, it's just for people that don't know what's going on in the summer workout schedule. They actually right before the fourth, um, that Tuesday we were down there for they had a team running a throwing session, and then they had a week off, so they up until mm-hmm. today they had no official workouts so they had some time some of the out-of-state guys got to go home other people you know just whatever you had to do some people stuck around and worked out they started them going again today um that's dan was down there getting some updates on the workouts anything else was before you know we got to wrap this up anything else uh, that was interesting down there from the workouts you saw today
0: um no just from talking to everybody you know it, it just seems like people it, it's good to get it was good to get it was a well-timed break because you know i think everybody now kind of is kind of you know they they've shifted gears here and they're really powering towards towards you know August fifth and, and the start of practice. I mean there's no breaks. They're going five days a week now from here. You know all all July and and they're they're getting into motors football season. It's exciting and guys are excited. Guys are working hard and it's really it'll be it'll be really fun to see where this team goes.
3: Cool. All right. Well, Dan, thanks very much for joining us and uh, we'll get more updates as the summer workouts continue from you. All right. Sounds good. All right, everyone else, thank you very much for the, listening to the Peristyle Podcast. We'll be back again next week with uh, more Trojan news and updates and information and analysis. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll catch you next week.
2: You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can now download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player. Just search for Parastyle Podcast the next time you log into iTunes.